It's this thing that's like fucking Except you don't fuck Back in the day It just went without saying at all All the world's history Gradually dying a shock There is this thing that's like talking Except you don't talk Listening to CITR 101.9 FM, and that was Dresden Dolls with Sing. Um, my guests today are Evan Dorkin and Jill Thompson. Do I have you both there? Yes, yeah. I'm here. Excellent. Hi. That was the Dresden Dolls. Holy Christ. What's wrong? I thought I was in a supermarket. I just kept, I wanted that to go. Forget about it. They probably <laughs> opened I hope they have better songs than that. I've heard good things about them. Not that, like, I'm... That was, my, that was my song, Evan. I'm sorry. Oh, that drove me up a wall, Joe. Oi. Oi. Two anthem. You know I don't like the anthems. I'm not a nice person. 
You have your own mean anthems, I presume. It's nice that we're all different people and can like different things, isn't it? I kept my fingers crossed while I said that. <laughs> um, just for folks listening, the last time Evan was on was, oh, I guess, are. about three years ago. and um, Not a lot back. Yeah, I, I've been seeing my therapist, and I've, things have gotten better for me, so I'm hoping... I'll be able to handle this again today. So hi, Jill. Hi, Ev. Sorry, I insulted your song. No problem. Um, I can't hear you very well, so you know I'll try not to insult yours. Oh, go right ahead. I didn't write it. I could care less. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, that's the difference. Oh, I'm sorry. I care too much. Wow. Did you write that song? You didn't write that song. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Ahoy! So, uh, I've got both uh, Jill and Evan on the phone to yak about their uh, new comic and whatever else may uh, come up. Beasts of Burden, which the second issue just came out yesterday in finer comic stores. And if the comic stores don't have them, they're not fine. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Now, I guess we'll jump in. Um, For you, Evan, this was originally your concept. And tell us a bit about where Beast of Burdens came from for you. (laughs) Holy moly. Jill, you want to play that song again? I don't have any control over that song. Oh, brother. He just... uh, I don't... It was a... It was a... It was just an. You know what it is? I've I've rarely interviewed many times in a month. And, and I'm uh, asking you the same question everyone else has. And it's just, you know, it's, it's kind of like saying, you know, did you eat today? Who, you know, who gives a crap? People should, but since nobody reads, is reading the book, really, uh, real quick, cause I want Jill to talk. I don't really want to. Uh, I just came up with an eight-page story about a haunted doghouse. Scott Alley asked me to be in the Dark Horse book of hauntings, and I wrote it with Jill in mind, uh, The you know, pretty much from the beginning because I wanted I just thought of Jill's art I don't know if it was lying around or we were talking at the time but that's how I saw it and it was about a haunted dog house and a bunch of dogs and a stray cat a little poltergeist a little exorcist a little watership down and people liked it and we ended up doing four of them for the uh, anthologies and now we're doing a series now Jill what was was about as exciting as your question I'm I'm riveted. Reaction to that. Riveted. Now, Jill, for yourself, what I was wish. the what uh, you don't often? Um, I mean, you, back and you used to do uh, other, you know, illustrate other people's comics for the most part. Who? For Jill. Jill, sorry. Yeah, sorry, Evan. It's not about you right now. Oh, nice try. I haven't heard that one before. Uh, what's the attraction of uh, working on on this comic when most of the time you're doing your own comics? writing your own stuff um well i love collaborating with people whose work i admire and i'm always really flattered when somebody asks me to work with them um this is just an instance uh i, I mean <laughs> i could make a really bo- like the the basic boring answer is why do i collaborate with somebody when um it, when i usually do my own work is uh, because it pays well <laughs> <laughs> and and i'm a freelance illustrator and i try not to turn down jobs <laughs> um you know that's the very base freelance artist answer, but I mean, I'm lucky in the fact that you know I get invited to work on things uh, with people who I admire, and um, I really try never to turn those things down. <laughs> and this is one of those instances. And I thought it was just going to, you know, it was just an anthology when I first heard about it. You know, who knew that there was going to be any more of them, much less a series. And um, it seems as each time Evan wrote a story, you know, it got a little longer and a little longer. And I think the very last one we did was, um, it was almost the size of a regular comic. And, you know, it's like it wasn't just like a one-off idea. You know, there obviously was a lot more that could be told with these characters. And thankfully, everybody else thought so, too. And here we are. What keeps drawing you back to the characters, Evan? Um, um... Well, like Jill said, we you know we have more to we have more stories with them. I mean, it's it's not a, obviously it's not so successful that we feel it's a, a cash cow that we have to keep going. <laughs> um, but I, I really love doing it. I know that sounds corny, but I just like work. You know, I, it's been a long time since I've worked uh, on any kind of extended storyline in comics. Um, 
college, you know, and it kind of feels like doing the old Hectic Planet books that I used to do. I've got a set of characters, and uh, I really enjoy writing them. And um, the art looks better than anything I could do. <laughs> and it's just, I mean, it's a book where when I get the artwork in, when Jill and I are done knocking something together and I see it, it just, I, you know, it sounds, like I said, it sounds really stupid, but I'm just very happy with it. And I, I, if I could... I would do nothing but work on this book, and you know, I, I consider it. You know, it's our, it's our own stuff. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. It's not. It's you know, we're doing it with Dark Horse, not for Dark Horse. If you know what I'm saying, and but it's our book, and so it's very close to me. It, it, it you know, as Jill said, it was it was it just ended up turning into something, uh, and these are my characters and our characters, and I would hate them to go away. <laughs> so you know, it's like I feel bad that I don't have any. I can't do anything with them for a while until you know, you know, until Jill uh, can do something with them, and if there's a call to do more with them, and uh, you know, I think up stories for them, and it just keeps happening. And I guess that's the sign of it's not a successful or a great book, but something that means something to you. And I just, you know, I have these running pictures in my head of of Jill's artwork of new stuff and uh, us doing, you know, the whole story. Do you have a longer story planned out for these guys? Yeah, we do, yeah. You know, we've talked about a bunch of it, and I'm, and I'm sure we'll take side trips because I know, you know, Jill would want to... Jill's been talking about doing something in a while. I don't know if that's something we're going to do. I'd like to do something that Jill, you know what I mean, generates mm -hmm. somewhere, Jill, and uh, we do have a whole story, and we keep coming up with more stuff because... Well, how does that... that uh, work the collaboration between the two of you like is it's not necessarily just here's a script you draw it it's a little more fluid than that I would think so but Jill would have to you know I mean Jill Jill's been I've been learning you know I'll let Jill tone a sec sorry but I I overwrite just the way like I over talk and I've been trying to do less of that because Jill knows what you know I I don't mean this in a in a, in a you know pandering way Jill certainly knows what the hell she's doing <laughs> And uh, she's doing the heavy lifting in this book. I mean, she's, uh, I'm in awe of her art. And my first scripts were way too directing. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's something I've been trying to do when I work with other people. I mean, uh, I have a, you know, I'm an anal cartoonist type. So I'm trying to give her less to worry about and more to hope. Well, I, I don't think she's having fun right now. But you know what I mean? <laughs> she changes stuff around. And that's, that's the way, you know, I, I, we, I get a book back. Do you know what I mean? We get a we we don't know what she's doing because we we trust her. She's Jill. Jill. Um, thank you, Evan. Does that um, make sense? <laughs> oh, um, you know it's the truth. Well, no, I mean, I mean um, Evan, he knows what he he wants when the script is there. It's not like it's like a, a vague plot. Mm -hmm. And um, you know the, the, that's the the different um, dynamic. You know, having worked on my own stuff and written my own stuff for so long and collaborated with other people, you know, there are so many different styles that. Um, writers tend to work in and Evan says he overwrites and I'll, I'll agree with him <laughs> there. <Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> Just, I'm trying I mean, for me only because um, you know I'm, I'm used to telling a story my own way and sometimes I, I look at the script and you know and I've done this before in other, in other instances because there's been um, you know limited amount of pages and I've begged and pleaded can I get two more pages and they're like why I said because I want this this one emotional scene to last longer and I think that really only came from um, when I adapted and worked on uh, the death manga uh, mm -hmm. at Death's Door for uh, Vertigo, you know, taking um, a season of mists and kind of chopping that into pieces and adding some goofy, funny manga-y things and girl manga stuff into it. You know, that was very um, intimidating task. It's like, well, here's this... Uh, award-winning Neil Gaiman piece of work, chop it up, you know. And make it silly. Well, and, and make sure that, you know, nobody thinks that you're disrespecting it and make sure it comes back to exactly the same place everything was left. You know, it doesn't affect its continuity, obviously, but um, before I started that, uh, I studied a lot. I mean, I've always loved manga, and, and I studied and spoke with a lot of people who, who actually study it for a living, um, to learn about, you know, symbolism that I'd always picked up on. But, you know, that's a, that's a type of storytelling now that has affected the way I tell a story, where I, I tend to break things down, uh, like, uh, much uh, in a more Japanese fashion, where there's a lot of, like, emotional back and forth without any um, exposition or, or action sometimes, because 
or, or, or I tend to, to do that when I when you know like in certain types of scenes, and um, you know some of my natural reaction in some of this is like in between dialogue, like it could be one panel of what Evan's doing. It's like, and I want there to be like some anxious dog eyebrow silent beats where they would all kind of go meh, meh, meh. back and forth, you know, where in a Japanese comic that would be like, well, that would be eight pages of that. Yeah. We don't have the luxury of that, but like my brain breaks things down like that now. Um, and it works very well, and I'm sure, on film because it flashes back and forth, you know, and it takes like one second of, of airtime if it was animation, but um, in a comic, you're taking up pages. Well, you're also uh, playing with the meter of the story too, right? Yeah. Well, that would that would definitely um, change the pacing. Well, and, the thing um, is, if, I, if you don't mind cutting in for a second, the thing is, since she's Jill's painting, there's it's really hard for her. We have two styles that are clashing here uh, often. Mm-hmm. It's compounded by I tend to put a lot of panels on a page um, because of the way I work, which is not what I want here. But there's a lot of detail, and Jill, is, the, the acting she's putting into it's amazing. She's talking about the reaction stuff, so she's still trying to maintain all that stuff and, and, and do the bits of business and all that while the, you know, the main information is going on. And that's why I think people are really responding to, to the... That's one thing I think people are definitely responding to. It, it's not like a, a Bill Elder joke panel, but it's got that kind of depth of information. Mm-hmm. And there's things that I haven't caught. There's, there's, there's little bits of business that I don't catch on the first, like, two or three readings in uh, the first issue of where certain animals are doing or what they're, you know, stretching or acting like animals. And it's, it's nice because it rewards you on rereadings, and it's all added. And I just think, you know, you get two people trying to tell a story and adding in stuff, you get 100%. It's not, I mean, I'm not knocking that storytelling. I'm not a big fan of it, but it's not decompressed. It's compressed. We've Also, because we've only done... We've done eight short stories now, if you want to put it that way. We've always had to have a the end at the end of these stories. Scott really wanted us to go for one-shots on these, these, these four. That's kind of tough when you've mm-hmm. got a large cast and you've got Jill needs room for the painting. So it's been a real... Um, I'm glad I'm not Jill <laughs> on, on the art because, you know, she, I put in too much and then she puts in extra stuff and then breaks it down. and it's, I love it. Personally, well, what, what but, Evan writes, like to me, it's like what the, what what they say is what makes me add extra things, and because I like how they're going to say it, I, you know, they have to react, they have to respond emotionally. It's not just like yep, 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 dog, you know, dogs. This, these are dogs that I'm allowed to add more animated facial features. I mean, dogs, especially, are one of the most expressive animals, other than mice. And that was a big thing that I had to learn to leave eyebrows. out. And is to tell Jill, like, those. oh, he's sad. Like, she, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I felt really bad after she, we talked about it, but if I'm doing the right job of my dialogue, I, do ne- I never have to put in a description, unless it's really important or something, or it's a joke, of how they're reacting. Because, I mean, have you looked at the... Have you read this book? Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, you never know. You it's know. it's uh, mandatory to me but to it, read. I mean, the expression... Everybody, I mean, everybody who's chimed in about the series has made a big deal about how amazing it is that the dogs don't come off as cartoon. Well, they're not anthropomorphized, which right. I love. They're they're just dogs. And but, well, but everything gets across, he, and they don't make funny faces. The faces aren't exaggerated to the point where it looks like some kind of CGI squash and stretch. It's terrific. What was that you're saying there, Jill? I'm sorry. Um, uh, he Evan has established like very. Um, distinct personalities for each one of them, so it's very easy to make them act um, whatever you know whatever they're saying. Because I know, you know, the type of people, you know, the, the type of personalities that they are, or how they would kind of you know sit around or respond. You know, the the, the dynamic between the orphan and pugs, and and you know, Whitey. You know, actually, I think I identify a lot with Whitey because. Kind of like really? <laughs> little nervousy guy that's kind of like, da, 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 isn't everything great? Oh, geez. Um, that's, that's, yeah, that's funny. Uh, well, and I'm, I'm looking at a page right now that I'm, you know, it's got pretty much everybody on it. And, um, you know, you've got your, your kind of stoic hero and your everyman and, and your wise cracking guy and, and your, you know, well, and Rex has come so far. You know, he's like started out as the stereotypical looks tough but really a scary cat but he's like he just keeps growing as far as like rex is actually becoming an okay joe 
Yeah. It was something was established like in the first eight page story. I mean, he actually runs away. Which, you know, mm-hmm. was the gag. Just to have somebody really react and then I, we really we had to rehabilitate him or or lose him <laughs> in the short stories. So uh, it's funny what Jill said earlier about wishing that you know, about reacting. It's like I'm hoping that if we continue that we can really open up a little bit and not you know, I don't want to do a whole story of them sitting around eating and talking. Uh, you know, like a bunch of superheroes do these days. They always seem to be eating breakfast or something, and, and, you know, they're in a play. But I would like to be able to slow it down and open it up a little bit more, not just uh, not just to give Jill a break on her hands, but, you know, just because there's been a real hectic pace on a lot of these stories, and it would be nice to be able to, you know, just calm it down a little bit. Mm-hmm. But we'll see how that goes. I'm going to do a quick song break. Word about... 22 past and then we come back we'll jump in into some more um i think i'm gonna play the uh the felix figura 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 all right joe, joe can make fun of this one because i don't care he's dead and i don't know him i wouldn't i like uh i'm a i'm a, i'm i'm fairly eclectic there we go you're sick eclectic oh yeah. i thought you said she i didn't know what that means i'm, I'm kidding like for goodness. Three people in Canada <laughs> laughing at me. okay we'll be right back thank you Inkstead, CITR 101.9 FM. Um, What's the AMS? Some kind of commies? Who, who's the AMS? We are uh, broadcast out of a, out of the University of British Columbia. The AM, AMS is the Alma Mater Society. So All it's right. the student-run stuff. Don't worry. No communists here. Oh, We're just care. Canada. I'm not afraid of the communists anymore. <laughs> Who are you we, afraid we of now? Sent them into oblivion. Are you afraid of the conservatives now? Whom, uh, usually. <laughs> Um, I'm, talk- for you. <laughs> I'm talking to Jill Thompson and Evan Dorkin about their uh, comic book, Beasts of Burden, as well as other stuff. Uh, that was, what was that we were listening to, Evan? I don't know. That was a cooler song than I picked, Pete. I'm so- well, you know, I'm, I'm so going to go listen to more of them because by the way, I, I don't get it. I, 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 I can to. feel okay if I run into Neil anymore or something. But, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 I'm such a 
jerk. <laughs> that was Felix Figueroa, Figueroa, and I don't remember the name of his orchestra. You might have it handy there. It oh. says, and his orchestra. And his orchestra. That's great. Even he didn't know the name of his orchestra. <laughs> I think that's a 40s number. I know it from, uh, I, I became aware of it because it's, um, there's a really bizarre dance sequence in the movie Forbidden Zone, which uses a lot of uh, old uh, public domain music. If you've ever seen it, it's Danny Elfman's brother, Richard Elfman, made it. I think it's 1980. And uh, Pre-Oingo Boingo is in it, and it's very Cab Calloway. It's black and white. There's animated sequences. Hervé Villachez is in it with Susan Terrell. And there's a giant, there's a frog in a tuxedo. If, if that doesn't make you want to see it, then nothing will. But they do a, <laughs> a, a frog in a, a tuxedo. A guy who looks a little bit like a Robert Crumb sings that while a bunch of guys are dancing around, and he drives to work in a cardboard uh, um, car. Sounds fantastic. But the song was not done for it. Yeah, it's a really weird movie. I really love it a lot. But I love that song on its own. It's, 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 uh, I like a song that's got like a rumba beat to it and talks about no one's dreams coming true. <laughs> well, there's a peppy bit of business. I should have picked all the Halloween music from the Halloween Stomp album, but I never know who... I don't have the liner notes, so I don't know who does any of it. That's okay. I would have played it anyways. I yeah. wouldn't have been able to tell you. <laughs> Google is the liner notes of the world like, right now. Send you the file. Um, it is kind of apropos timing being almost Halloween and mm-hmm. talking about this. Apropos. Two cents for that one. Mm-hmm. There we go. It's a double go. word score. College. Woo. <sighs> yeah. Got to learn something. I'm not going to do much with it. Mm. Now, the Visa Burden, it seems like you're drawing a lot on old kind of uh, pulp horror stuff. Am I right? Is that a big influence for you in writing this? I want you to, I want you to note this. Hold I, on. Because this is not going to happen again. One word answer from me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was trying to leave some data and see if you'd be forced to say anything. Um, well, tell me about some of the influences you've drawn in for it, or are you going to stay conspicuously uh, um, vague? Well, the first story was um, I Love Haunted House Stories. Um, I think there's really... I don't believe in the supernatural. I'm not religious or any of that stuff, but I, I love it. And um, I've always wanted to write horror stories, and I've never really gotten the chance. And um, it was about hauntings, and I knew I wanted to do a haunted house, and I figured somebody's going to do a haunted house story, so I didn't want to do a straight haunted house. And I was thinking of things like uh, uh, The Uninvited and uh, Hell House and Hill House. I love the idea of a house infested by something, you know, whether it's psychic feedback or a creature or whatnot or just anything, even, you know, the Texas Chainsaw, where it's physical. I love the idea of a place of evil. Um, so I came up, I was trying to do something with a dollhouse, and I couldn't come up with it, and then thought of a doghouse, and just the story kind of, you know, called its own shots, and I, uh, I put, like, an exorcist-style dog in there, and... Um, there's a there's a nod to Poltergeist when he says that the doghouse is clean. You know, it's the, I have the influences that most people in comics do who do any genre work. You know, a lot of TV, a lot of books, a lot of comics, um, a lot of movies, a lot of monster magazines. Jill and I both like wrestling, which comes into play because I, I choreograph fight scenes and, and <laughs> I, I do. And you know, and you know, you want the bad guys to look be bad, and you don't have a lot of time for it. So you really want, you know what I mean? Yeah. They got to do their gimmick. They got to do their moves. They gotta have a move set, and, uh, and I use them in milk and cheese strips because that's when they yell at the reader. They're cutting a promo, practically. Well, milk and cheese, it the wrestling makes a lot of sense. Thank you. They're about I as nice as wrestlers. You're lucky I'm not near you. <laughs> hey. But, that, but and lately I have been reading a lot of pulps. In fact, and purposely uh, in the last couple of years I've been reading a lot of dead, you know, century dead horror writers and whatnot. And uh, some, and it changes based on what story I'm doing since we've been doing the short stories. Sometimes I don't research anything at all because I don't really. I want there to be a regular. I want there to be a, a true system to what we're doing as far as magic goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want it all to make sense and have its own logic. But I don't really care if it's real. Yeah. I just want it to feel real. Uh, I'm not. Go- I really just don't care if we get angry mail from some Wiccan <laughs> or something that said that I used them. I just don't care. You'll get a spell in the mail. Fine. Uh oh. What's really interesting is both of you do a lot, or maybe just interesting to me, uh, you both do a lot of kids' comics or have done kids' stuff, but this easily could be a kids' comic, but there's no way it is, I feel like. Jill? Um, you know, I, I know kids have, have read it because yeah. they, like, in, the second, um, in the second issue, there's a letter from an 11-year-old 
Yeah. Um, I feel, especially with the second that's issue. Just, that's your parental discretion, you know. Yeah. That's yeah. not my job. That's your, that's parents' job. We can say that this is not for people of a certain age, but if you think your kid can handle it. I'm worried about the second issue. <laughs> well, yeah. We have hit, my daughter's going to be five soon, and we have hidden the second issue from her. But, I mean, she's really young. But we've had people, you know, I've somebody on my blog talked about giving it to their young kids, and issue two is the... I mean, there's stuff in every issue that's a little, I mean, for dogs and cats, adult is, you know, I'm just, just to use the word, because there is death and there is violence and there is uh, slight language issues. I, I would call this a PG-13 or something. like. I don't know what kids have anymore. I mean, most kids look like whores and gangsters. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the second issue is very depressing, and uh, my daughter doesn't know it exists. She stole the first one and read it while we weren't looking. Yeah, she took the make ready of it. What was that? that was embarrassing. My wife was giving me the eye for that one. <laughs> Jill, you were saying something there and got sorry. railroaded. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, well, I'm saying if somebody gives their, you know, yes, there's there's violent situations throughout this series and action and, you know, um, some, you know, emotional situations. The second issue really has something that's very, you know, heart-wrenching, but it's certainly, you know, I mean, if a, if a parent says, oh, read this, and then doesn't want it talk to their kid afterwards about it you know it's like there's stuff that has to be explained it's not just like oh read this and figure it out yourself <laughs> yeah. um you know that would not be a good idea yeah. but we, we can get into parenting stuff next time when uh, yeah sorry no 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 no, no. i'm just saying that like could be that could be a long what talk kids read Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I just figure a, a kid should you should be aware of what your kid's reading anyway. To some, you know, I don't. Yeah. When I get older, I'll find out how <laughs> how much I can be on top. Especially since I don't understand the uh, handheld devices and <laughs> computers much. <laughs> so she'll be reading things on tachyon beams being shot into her head or something by the time she's twelve. But um, I mean, yeah. The, the funny thing is, I designed. I read, there's been, there was narrative, there's, sometimes there's uh, narrative captions in the book, and they're clearly, uh, they're, they are designed to sound sort of storybook-like. Um, and uh, when I wrote number, the first stories, I, along with Jill's art, I saw it as a bit of a storybook, because I, I'm a, you know, I, I'm a you know, scary godmother, and all the stuff she was doing with Foley, and, and now Magic Trixie, you know, I know she loves children books and does beautiful artwork for children. And uh, but her stuff's real creepy, and mm-hmm. I'm just taking a little step, you know, just asking her to eviscerate something once in a while. <laughs> well, I I kind of I really it, it appeals to me the way the story, at least in the in the separate issues, how they're um, you don't need a running dialogue from outside the story itself. It's just the characters kind of tell it through their interactions. Yeah, I mean that's. I'm no. I'm glad to hear that. But sometimes, um, sometimes I wanted for the tone. We don't do it very heavily. I mean, we did it in the short stories because we didn't have a lot of room. I had, mm-hmm. We had to collapse stuff, and um, uh, that's just you know that's really just something that with when you only had eight when we only had eight or twelve pages. We I wanted to get a lot of story in there. You know, we're really trying to give people value for money and tell a real story with that has a feeling that. Things happen off-panel, and things happen before and after what we show you. Yeah. And that there's a whole world out there, and we're trying to develop this little culture without being too D&D about it, you know, and <laughs> getting... Well, what I mean by that is we don't want to get too caught up in telling you, you know, yeah. how the magic works and where they sleep every night and all that stuff. I, we're doing some world-building, but we're, I want to... We want to do it slowly. We want to, you know, I want to tell stories. We're, we're telling stories here. I almost feel like it doesn't matter where they sleep. It's not about... I don't know. Maybe it's just me. They gotta sleep somewhere. They gotta sleep somewhere. And it is nice, like the wooden cat is the homeless and hangs out with one of the dogs. You know, that's a nice. I'd like to show that more of that of them, the two of them bunking together. And Jill, that's my. I have Jill gave me that gave us that page and it, it kills me. Do you guys have favorite characters in this story in the, in this series? Um, gosh, I love them all for different reasons. I mean, before I, I mean, I've never really been a dog person. I've never owned a dog. I don't dislike dogs, but I've always had cats. And at some point, I've had so many cats that there's just no way you could introduce a dog into the <laughs> into the, <laughs> the cats lived in. Um, and now I have an elderly cat, so I mean, I wouldn't foist any animal on him. And uh, but 
Archie. Arch. We love Archie. <laughs> and Evan knows Archie. Yeah, um, Archie's. I, I didn't know that I had met Archie many, yeah, many moons ago. He's, but, on our, he's left on Evan. Um, huh? He's left on you once. I know, I know. When he was a kitten. He's so cute. Um, she sends but, pictures over because Emily, my daughter, loves Archie. Aww. And Sammy, who is. Sammy's the neighbor cat. He's the. Uh, he's. The, the orphan, or at least he's my orphan model. He's a young, spry ginger cat who... He's uh, really cool. You know, if he's on my side of the block, I just walk outside and he goes, Sammy! And he just comes bounding towards you and rolls around on your feet and, and stuff. Um, That's funny because the, 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 the cat's based now, on our I, I cat. Seeing... The, uh, the orphan's based on Crushy, our orange cat, who was a stray, who did the same. That's what he did to us. He used to run up to us, and that's why we fell in love with him and called him the orphan. And finally, we're able to adopt them after a very boring adventure story. <laughs> My favorite's the Chihuahua. <laughs> the Chihuahua, the one that <laughs> eats his own food. <laughs> that was an, that was a good one. I, I asked, Phil, should we do it? You know, we talked about that page, and I wasn't sure if we should go with the Chihuahua because I thought it might be a little too, you know. That's the, but she's like, no, we're doing a Chihuahua. <laughs> Is it? So, I don't know. There's something about the look in his eyes. No, he's if... awesome. I want to bring him back. <laughs> I mean, that's the nice thing. Wow, if we find that a character makes us laugh or anything, I, like, I, I want Holstein back. I just haven't had a chance to show Holstein. Enough two different directions. What was that, Jill? I have not made pugs. Uh, you know, there's a couple pugs that live on the block next to me, and I see them all the time, and I pet them. And, um, you know, I was actually yesterday I, I ran into them, and I was petting them and staring at them, and I went, boy, I am not giving pugs enough stupid look on his face because these dogs, like chihuahuas, their eyes look in different directions. Oh, no. <laughs> but, oh, God. <laughs> really? They do. Those, those, two, those two pugs do. That, oh, my God. I don't know. Maybe they're mentally... Oh, God, I don't know. Okay, on that note, I think it's time for another song break. We'll uh, be right back. Instead, CITR 101.9 FM.
we're back. CITR 101.9 FM. This is the Ink Studs. Um, next week, I will be having a couple interviews on. Uh, one with uh, Jay Bradley Johnson, um, who I don't think had ever done an interview before the one I conducted with him. And it's really fascinating, really interesting guy. A lot of great stuff from anthologies like Snake Eyes and Kramer's Urgot and all sorts of goodies as well. I'll be playing an interview, or I will be interviewing Abby Denson, who will be in Vancouver next weekend for an event for Halloween at uh, one of our fine local comic stores. week after that, I'll be uh, having a chat with a comics academic uh, person you know, Evan. Uh, Jeet here will be on. She's a swell guy. He is a swell guy. Abby's, uh, Abby's swell, too. We know Abby. She's great. She's very nice. This will be her second visit to Vancouver, so it's nice to see her. Um, so Jeet will be on with uh, Dr. Paul Stanwood from the UBC English Department, and we're going to be discussing Robert Crumb's Genesis. And, uh, <laughs> is he a doctor of comics? No, unfortunately. He's, we need uh, more doctors of comics walking around. I don't think we have any yet. It's like, you know, like Dr. Doom or anything. <laughs> they all have this metal hand of evilness. Um, no, he's uh, he's actually a really interesting guy. He's like, probably like 70-year-old English prof and uh, specializing in um, biblical, classical, and Renaissance literature. Oh, and he I, sounds like a pip at a party. It, it, he, he's, he's an odd one. Um, and I, I brought up... That. I brought this up to him, and he asked me if it was anything like Milton Kniff. Oh, that's right. <laughs> right. So that, it should be interesting uh, to see. I really want to hear what he thinks, because he doesn't come from comics. Like, it could be easy to get someone to go, I love Robert Crumb. This is great. Anything Robert Crumb. Let's hear what someone... Who... Get Trina Robbins. She's crazy about him. Oh. Okay, let's talk about our stuff now. Yeah, that would be the most <laughs> awkward hour ever. Um, Jill, how are you doing? <laughs> Tell me a little bit about the uh, the process of putting the work together because it's quite laborious, I could imagine. Who me? Yeah, all the oh, the brother, watercolor. I can't tell you how laborious it is. Um, I could show you <laughs> the radio. Um, Comics on the radio. That's right, huh? Perfect. This should be a video program. Um, well, okay. When I first get Evan's script, I read through it a couple of times, and then I start highlighting. Um, what I feel is like really major action on the page. So, uh, because when I break down a page, I always like to either lead up to a certain point as like my largest image on the page or lead away from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I also, you know, like make sure I take into consideration who's in, who's in the whole issue, if there's anything I have to design, um, if anything I have to get reference for. So I do reference gathering. And, um, then I uh, I start when I actually start sitting down to work. I on on my script I scribble all sorts of little drawings all over the place. I I don't necessarily do what other people consider a traditional thumbnail drawing before I'm uh, before I work on the page. Um, I have a teeny tiny little thumbnail of how the panel layouts I want, but then all over this script are these little scribbles, these gesture drawings of what I kind of want in each panel, or at least certain actions. Because what I've learned over the years um, is if I do something really detailed before I start drawing, all of my energy and all of the um, the magic, I suppose, mm-hmm. goes into the little one-inch thumbnail and not on the page. It and loses page, some spontaneity, I guess. It loses the spontaneity. It loses the, the flow. I learned this in art school um, about myself, and I had to cheat my way through art school because uh, my first year in school, our fundamentals teacher wanted... You know, say you had to do a color piece. He wanted a pencil thumbnail, uh, a black and white value painting, a color a color value painting, um, then uh, another thing, and then your final drawing. Ooh. Well, I did all that, and all the tiny little paintings were really great, and then the final one was just boring because I felt like I'd done it well, and I had really done it five times already. So what I did after that is I went straight from my little scribbly drawing to the finished piece and then went back and did all the steps afterwards and everything was cool after that (laughs) um so i kind of approach a comics page the same way um i do a lot of my scribbling on the script and then um start drawing on the page really lightly in pencil um sometimes i erase everything and start all over again um because i don't if i if i can't get the right flow um but for the most part it, it turns out okay then i um I, 
I block in the lettering, and then I scan that so I have a copy of that. Then I go through and I erase all the lettering because um, I need a scanned uh, file for Jason Arthur mm -hmm. lettering the book. And um, I used to do everything. I used to do my own hand lettering, mm -hmm. and uh, Jason created a font for me, and he pretty much is now he's attached to my hip, <laughs> whether he likes it or not, because... I assumed at one point I was going to learn how to letter, and I know it's probably not as difficult as I think it is, but it takes some time, and um, I kind of don't have any, so Jason, I just kind of want him to letter everything I do now. Um, then I go through uh, afterwards and um, tighten up all the pencils, uh, sometimes scan it again, sometimes not, depends on how I feel, uh, tape off all the pages, tape off all the panel borders, cut little strips of like quarter-inch tape, to do all the panel borders, uh, and then I start painting. And I paint with a paintbrush and, you know, real paint. I mm -hmm. don't, um, some people, when I say that, I realize that some people think I'm still using some kind of a computer program afterwards, but no, it's, uh, you know, dip, dipping, you know, it's watercolor. So there's a lot of, you know, with watercolor, you know, it's a lot of washes built up. And uh, I do end up, you know, it's not painting in the traditional sense. It really is illustrating because I'm not, you know, painting like Alex Ross or something where there's no holding on around anything. I'm cartooning. <laughs> well, no, no. I mean, but Alex does. I mean, his illustration is painting because you know, like, he's using one value to pop out another value. He's not drawing around it the way that mm -hmm. I do. Um, Mike Mignola once mentioned. Uh, I don't know. Apparently, he was having a conversation about my painting with somebody else and. Uh, I'd never thought of it the way that they were talking about it, but Mike said that I'm cartooning, but with paint. Yeah, and that's perfectly fine. That's that's all I want to do in this in this situation. Um, well, I think I'm, not, I think you're I'm not looking to make um, yeah. you know like landscape paintings here, but I am using a lot of that technique with backgrounds and trees and and things like that. But you know, this is kind of a mesh of like my pen and ink style and painting, which I love very much. It's kind of arbitrary terminology in a lot of ways now, too. Like, I just see how th the lines are so blurred now, and they're going to call, like, some of the, like, say, James Jean cover painting. Well, it's a lot of that is computer effects and stuff. And, right. You know, it's... But meanwhile, you're getting your hands dirty, creating hey boy, this... Boy, really dirty. You should see the sleeves of some of my <laughs> everything in my hands, and you'd think I would stop wearing white sweaters when I keep running my hands <laughs> in ink, but no, I don't. Um... It's just something natural. What goes together, probably. I, I look uh, very much the part of the artiste. Um, one of the, I just wanted to, you know, real for the heck of it. I just uh, one of the reasons I love working with Jill and what I love about her work is that it, she does. She is a cartoonist, mm -hmm. and her sensibilities of her cartooning goes into the painted work. And she doesn't just do a series of pinups. Um, yeah, like a, and that, that's not to knock a lot of painters. I mean, I made a crack, but I mean, there's a lot of people who do really lovely painted work, but they don't do good comics. Well, one problem... Same, same thing for people who draw, illustrate, who draw beautifully. Um, they just can't do... They don't do good panel to panel. They don't understand storytelling. They're just laying out this, you know... They just, you know, they don't, they don't cartoon. They don't get it. They don't use the language, and they don't understand how to build up, like she was saying, to a point, and what the page turns, turns mean and all that stuff. And I, I love Jill's painted work in a way that I don't really like a lot of other people's painted work. I would say, like Charles Vess, I like his stuff, is that the, the cartooning isn't dusted off. They, they, it's, it's painted cartooning. Yeah. And I, I love it. Well, so I'm a there. cartoonist, and, and um, you know, I know other people have, you know, yes, I love to paint, and I love to illustrate, and I've, you know, learned how to do all of that stuff in school, but, I mean, I'm super proud to be a cartoonist. And <laughs> I'll tell anybody, you know, people want to know what I do, you know, I tell them, I draw comic books for a living. I paint, write, illustrate comic books. And I love to tell the story, and I like the pacing, and I like panel-to-panel -panel, uh, storytelling. You know, it's like I, I, I don't... Um, the funny thing is, while I, yes, I do get a lot of photo reference, it's not like I'm going out there and I'm borrowing people's dogs and saying, can you make them sit and put their leg up and then move their head? You know, it's like <laughs> Hold you it. Know, so then I can take a photo with the lighting a certain way so then I can copy it. It's, I might use a photograph with certain lighting as a reference point, but, um, you know, it's like I'm, a friend of mine just asked me the other day, uh, she wanted to know if I have photo reference for all the dogs, and now I kind of 
don't even look at that very much wow. anymore. I, I, well, I've got them kind of committed to memory, drawn them out of my head. I saw you doing sketches of the orphan when we did the signing at, uh, at, at Comic Jones, and I was knocked out because I can't draw animals. I mean, I can't draw much of it. I can't really draw a lot. But it's, if, if you can watch somebody bang out an animal and it's just there, I, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed by that because... Well, just don't add any horses anytime soon because that might, you know, really slow me down. Uh, no horses. Here we go. But I want to put a snake in. The side... Oh. <laughs> uh, it's just an ass. You. Just an ass. Um, that, that's the thing I really appreciate, the... The, the lack of photo reference, because one thing that really bothers me with comics is when you can actually see the pose that the person was standing in, and it yeah. just doesn't feel yeah. familiar, well, doesn't feel comfortable. People find, they just find the, you know, the porn magazine, half the comic book, uh, the superhero guys. Yeah. There. You it, know, and <laughs> it's a sad... It's amazing how many people seem to get the porn references. I don't know how that happens. Especially comic folks. Who knows? Yeah. Who'd, who'd, who'd thunk? I don't but know. The, um, to me, the point is, the thing should look natural. Yeah. I mean, over the years, I've, I mean, I feel really lucky that I've made friends with so many wonderful cartoonists. And when I was a teenager, I you know, I, I, um, I met, became friends with Steve Rude. And uh, Steve Rude and Paul Smith both turned me on to Andrew Loomis. And um, I remember, you know, like an impromptu, you know, drawing lesson, because I would just stand in the artist alley and watch Steve Rude draw. And uh, as he was drawing sketches and everything, what I really loved about Nexus and, and anything that he's ever worked on is things look so natural to me. Yeah. And, um, you know, and he, he would explain, you know, it's like you don't want a superhero, even depending on whatever you're drawing, he was drawing superhero at the time, you don't want um, the character to stand there stiff like a cardboard cutout. It's like it has to look like a real person. And he would even, he even brought it up. He goes, look how you're standing right now. He goes, you stand with all your weight on your left hip. And you, you're carrying your sketchbook, and you know you're doing this. It's like so. If I'm going to draw Nexus or Sundra or anybody in in a different situation where they're standing around talking about something, um, I want it to be you know to look natural and you know study from life. So I mean, I do that in every instance, no matter if they look re- people look really cartoony or uh, if they're animals. You know, it's like when they're when the dogs are sitting around in the beginning of issue number two. Evan was mentioning that they're doing animal things, and I'm thinking, you know, like, how did my cats lay around when, you know, they were just hanging, looking out the window, or, you know, they don't just stand there all stiff, you know, they do things, they clean themselves, they scratch at fleas, they sniff things, and, um, you know, chew on stuff you don't want them to chew on, and I think that they would do that. There's a beautiful moment in in number three uh, where there's several cats in it, and she did this knockout for me piece where this cat named the getaway kid does that that thing that cats do when they're sliding down a le- uh, like a, a straight incline or whatever mm-hmm. i'm trying to where they stretch down it for a while before they jump i, I get yeah they i'm not i'm not ground. describing it. you know you know how to describe it better jill do you know what i'm talking about the panel oh, i know exactly what we're talking about it's like and it's a tiny it's a tiny illustration it's um he leaves he's up on the fence and he leaves the rest of the cats to go and join the orphan and Archie does this all the time when he has to get off the bed because he's super old. And, um, you know, so it's like he starts off, and instead of just jumping right down, he just slides his front paws all the way down, getting himself really close to the thing he's right. going to jump on, and then lumps down. And, I mean, it's not just Archie that does it. I My cat does it. It's a, it's, a, it's a great bit of business, and it's the kind of stuff that Jill throws in there that helps sell the book, in my opinion, to, you know, mm-hmm. not, you know, sell, you know, in the reader's mind, because... If the cats and the dogs and the animals, the rats, whatever, acted more cartoonish, I think it would just really play up how ridiculous the situ- the, 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 the concept and the situation is. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, I have some trouble sometimes with animals that run around with swords or, or shields or stuff. I mean, you can get into it if they handle it well, but I, I've just not, I've not, never been interested in writing that sort of stuff. But these moments where the, the, if you just keep watching what the cats do, especially because cats can do a lot more interesting poses than dogs. Jill will have them rolling around or grooming or not. You know, the cat never pays attention is one little bit we hope people notice. <laughs> even, in the, even in some very important parts, sometimes the cat doesn't seem to be paying attention. And it's just, I love watching those. Uh, it's kind of like uh, chicken fat, you know, the Will Elder chicken fat of like mm-hmm. what the animals are doing at any given moment. Because Whitey rolls a lot, I've noticed. 
It's all back to Will Elder. She's always good. Oh, well, I just use him as an... But, you know, Whitey will be rolling. I'll always know. I'll notice when we get... We're looking at the art, and I go, it goes Whitey again. He's such an idiot. <laughs> I mean, he's sweet, but it's really cute because it, everything sells... Every, you know, if you can keep selling character, people believe in them more. And they'll care more when something happens to them or when something good or bad happens to them. I, I got to cut us off, Evan. Okay. It's, Sorry. It's getting near the end of the hour. Oh, no. I know. Unfortunately, radio moves on past us. Um, I want to thank you both. It was really great to talk to you, both of you. Uh, Evan, I won't need more therapy, thankfully. I was I was pretty decent. Are I you? tried not to talk so much. No, I, really I was... tried. I don't know what it is. <laughs> oh, it's not the talking. It's, it's it's when you make me cry that's the I don't, problem. Hey, issue two should have made you cry, buddy. <laughs> it, it, was, right. it was very sad, and I highly recommend folks checking it out. Beasts of Burden, issue two just came out yesterday. Like I said at the beginning of the hour. Thank you so much, guys, and I hope you have a swell evening. Okay. Bye, Jill. Bye, Evan. Hey, take care. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye. 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 That was uh, Evan Dorkin and Jill Thompson. Once again, thank you both so much for coming on. Um, Big fans of both their work, and I think you should check out Beast of Burden. Up next is Japanese Music Waste. The places you'll never go, the faces you'll never know. It hurts me, it hurts me. 